Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm your host, Janine, and today I'm having a super inspiring conversation with Jennifer Williams. And I have to say, my guests just keep getting more and more inspiring. It's really fun. Jennifer lives in Idaho, and she's an educator, artist, author, advocate, animal savior, teacher, wife, mother, and grandmother. In 2016, Jennifer Williams was one of only five teachers nationwide inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. She's the first Idaho teacher to have ever been recognized by the President of the United States for this award. Jennifer is a published artist and currently has seven children's books to share stories that are mostly factual about the plethora of sentient beings that always seem to find their way into her life. Jennifer passionately advocates for all creatures. It has been said that Jennifer is the most generous person I have ever met. Hi, Jennifer. Well, hi, Janine. <laughs> Aloha and salutations. <laughs> Aloha. <laughs> uh, you wear many hats, and it sounds like you're actually pretty accomplished in all of them. Well, I, I don't know about that. I'd like to think that um, I've just had a really interesting life and had great opportunities to do things. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I've had a pretty adventurous life, too, and I feel pretty blessed to uh, oh, have, have, yes. <laughs> have just been, you know, around opportunities and, and had the guts to take advantage of them and, and move forward. You know, I, I think that's key when you say have had the guts, because I think everybody's faced with having, you know, a pretty adventuresome life if you dare to come out of the shadows, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and then um, I get teased about that, even within my own family. So <laughs> it, it, it takes guts, you know, they'll always say, yeah, either Jennifer or her son will do it. So, <laughs> ah, so you, pa you passed it on. <laughs> I I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it sounds like you are an incredibly giving person. And I was curious as to what, is there anything in particular that inspired you to be such a giving person? Well, I want to know who told you that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I had this conversation with my husband this morning because he he told me, he said, you you would be a horrible business person, he said, because you just want to give everything away. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure. I think I think I'm just hardwired to wanting it's a part of sharing. And I think I've always been a person that wants to share. And whatever that is, I mean, it could be a meal or it could be if you need art supplies or do you want to do this with me and I'll pay for it or you need books and I'll give those to you. I don't know. I just have always been, even as an artist, just giving things away. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think I, I go back to my childhood and I can see that I was the same way. It was like, here, you take my toy, you take my cookie. Um, so I, I don't know. <laughs> so it sounds like maybe you're just wired that way. I'd, I'd like to tell our listeners that uh, Jennifer and I chatted for about a half an hour before we started the recording, and we found so many things that we have in common. And I have to just say that my mother always complained to me that I, I'm too generous. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. There you go. And, and you know, actually, my mother uh, was m way more giving. 
Mm-hmm. And I think she I think she modeled that for me, even mm-hmm. at the detriment of her own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, yep. You know, my dad always complained that my mother always put my sister and I first and she didn't do enough for herself. So, you know, she's kind of, uh, what is that? The pot calling the kettle black. Oh, is that exactly. <laughs> I know. And, and, you know, and, and even to our, like I have four children mm-hmm. and my mother would always say, Jennifer, you give your children so much. Don't ever give more than you can afford to give. Well, she's rolling over in her grave right now because it's so hard not to just give beyond giving. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. well, there there is a, uh, a, a well, what's the word I want? It's a, a a tenant or whatever that if you that the more you give, the more room you're making for uh, more to come in. Oh. And I and I agree. And, you know, and I can see that this is where you and I, we are so similar in our conversation of things we've done and the things that we believe in. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I agree. I, I think you just allow yourself more room then to fill up with more that you can give again. Right. Right. So what's your what you have so many hats? I like to say hats. What's your what's yes. your favorite hat? Oh, could not pick a favorite. However, <laughs> I mean, really can't. I mean, wow. Being a grandmother, holy cow. Is that just awesome? Being a mom, amazing. Being a lifelong educator. Um, I think where I spend most of my time is with all the little things that have fur and scales and um, and feathers. And I, I spend so much time in animal advocacy mm-hmm. and spending time outside. I mean, I, I mean, a, a daily routine for me is feeding all the plethora of creatures that come into my yard. And right now I have skunks and ducks and raccoons and squirrels. I have squirrels that will come out of the tree when they see me because they know that they're going to get walnuts and not peanuts. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I spend, I, I guess that that's probably the strongest amount of time I spend really is in the caregiving. And I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's <laughs> my children laugh that I have this game called Worm Lottery. And it's uh, it's on a rainy day, you know, and all the worms are out and they're in the street and they're on the sidewalk. And, I, you know, I yeah. feel bad for them. And so on my walk, I will say, OK, I'm picking one worm that I'm going to save your life today. <laughs> and I'll go in the street and I'll pick one that has crawled the farthest out in the road, knowing he'll never get back. And then I take him like to a nice grassy place so that he can have a chance at life. and. And I was with my one of my granddaughters the other day, and we were saving the little roly-poly bugs. I was showing her how you touch them, and they roll into a ball. And I mm-hmm. said, now, take him and roll him over to the side of the road so nobody steps on him. Nice. So I spend a lot of time, you know, I just have story stories about all the little creatures. So probably... That would be what I spend my most time. Mm-hmm. My, my biggest hat. Mm-hmm. How did you <laughs> yeah. How did you become interested in saving animals? 
Well, you know, I was the generation that grew up on Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little. Mm -hmm. And so I was hardwired since I was teeny tiny. I was that girl that at two years old would go pick up the fish on the shore and then have to, you know, ride home in the trunk of the car because I smelled. <laughs> and um, or my my brother who would would look under rocks and catch snails and things and put them in my hand. And um, oh, I mean, snails are amazing if you ever take the time to just you know stop and look. So I think from being a little girl. And, of course, we never had pet stores when I was growing up. We never had veterinarians. Um, you found a cat or you went out in the wild. I had a hawk. I had alligator lizards. I had snakes. I had everything that was wild. Mm-hmm. And I would come home and I'd have some furry little thing in my arm. And my mother had gotten very used to that, so she never questioned. But it was like, okay, what did my daughter bring home today? And I would bring moles and rats and mice and spiders. And so growing up, I had everything that was wild. And then as I got older and my then I had my children, we had everything that nobody wanted. <laughs> You know, they they go get a pet and they didn't want it and they would say Jennifer will take it and so we had I don't think there's almost anything you could name that we didn't have so wow that's that's really neat I mean so many people yeah I don't think they really think through um, you know oh. especially with cats and dogs and bunny rabbits and. You know, oh. and then and then instead of responsibly finding them a, a good home or, or taking them to the SPCA so they can find them a good home or whatever, yes. I, I see people just dump them out in the country. I, I just oh, Janine, you know, yeah, we have a creek below our house, and you cannot believe the people that uh, you know. I'll hear a car and I'll think, okay, what's being dumped off now? Mm-hmm. And we have been the recipient of those kinds of things. And also, you know, I have neighbors that say, hey, I was up in the mountains and I found this little creature and he was crying for his mama. And I mean, we have had rock chucks, which are they're yellow bellied marmots. They're wild. They're like big prairie dogs and uh, little kangaroo mice and uh my friend that her son had a tarantula and nobody liked it. So she brought it to my front door and I said, sure, bring him in. But, you know, I I just think people do so wrong by animals. And it's why I have 15 turtles right now. Oh my goodness. Sure. They all came from pet stores at one time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, You find them or people, uh, you know, drop them off or yeah, it's, yeah, so there's nothing I won't take. <laughs> I can, I can, I understand that. You know, it's, it's, because uh, I used to, I was part of a wildlife rehab team in northern Michigan for six years. And oh, yeah. I used to um, take mostly small mammals, um, orphaned raccoons and squirrels and oh. um, had, you know, possum and, you know, different things that people would bring to me. And it, it's a lot of work, but it's so satisfying. Yes. And, oh. you know, it yeah. just and then to be able to release them and um, 
you know, and have them live their life. Oh, and it's, it's, it's just wonderful. It really is. It really and is. And, you know, even even some of the most unlikely things, um, squirrels are one of my favorites. And we <laughs> have too. probably, oh, probably 35 of them around our house right now. And I have this mama right now with, <clears throat> excuse me, she's got, <clears throat> she's got three babies and she's the one that just, she sees me, she comes out of the tree. Well, I, I had raised, I can't tell you how many I've raised. And I used to take them before their eyes were open and like take them to my classroom because I'm all about mentoring and modeling for my students how you care for things because many of these kids they're they're they'll say to me my mom won't even let me have a cat because she doesn't want the smell or she won't let me have a rat because she doesn't like the tail and kids they are the caregivers for us later in life Mm -hmm. they need to know how to care for things so I would always take oh we've had goats in my room we've had baby pigs we've had Anybody that had a mouse in their classroom, they'd bring it down to me. But anyway, I would take these squirrels with a baby bottle and I would let my students feed them. Well, one of one of the squirrels uh, ended up being my just like my little son. Mm -hmm. And I raised him. And when he was a teenage boy, they get very ornery. I mean, they they have a, a red zone that is that native primal Thing that they are high, high, hardwired for. Mm-hmm. So he was up in my bedroom because he had a cage up there and I would let him out. And it, during the day, I'd put him in an outdoor cage upstairs. Well, he decided one night that he didn't like being woken up and being brought from the deck into his cage in, in my bedroom. And he turned on me and attacked me, like ripped open my arm. Mm. And I just, I was going, Stewie, I am your mother. What are you doing? And so I turned my back on him and he jumped on me and bit me again. And I, it looked like a Stephen King movie in my bedroom. I, he ripped open the back of an artery. I had blood (gasps) all over my white carpet. Oh yeah. And I mean, the, the story goes on, it's longer, but my daughter had come home and she, she said, Mom, you need to go to the emergency room now. And I said, no, I am not going to say I've been attacked by a squirrel. Mm-hmm. And so I waited till the next day. And I did go to the doctor after my husband and my other daughter said, Mom, now you need to go to the emergency room. So I told the doctor that I actually had crawled over a barbed wire fence. <laughs> I wanted to know that my my pet squirrel had attacked me, <laughs> but I loved him anyway, you know, and you that's the other thing. You have to take them for who they are, not who you want them to be. Right. They are wild animals. Right. Mm-hmm. Nature is nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with your with your raccoons and the things that you've rescued and, um, you know, it's like our feeding bowl. We have giant feeding bowls on our back deck and we have skunks and raccoons and foxes and, and we just let them be, Mm -hmm. but we just provide food from one place to another. So, 
Well, I found with raccoons that um, they would, like mine used to play with my cats and, and I was lucky because I lived out in the woods and so I didn't have to release them, you know, like a lot of people who had lived in the city, they'd have to go out and release them in a, you know, there was a specific way to do it so that, you know, they'd be okay. And because I found that usually for about a year, they'd be really friendly, they'd come in the house, they'd, you know, play with my yep. cats. And then once they sexually matured, they were gone. That's and right. That was or, it. Yep. Or they turn, you know, they they go into who they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're just hardwired toward that. Yeah. 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 I always just connected it with sexual maturity. I thought that that's what, you know, that was kind of the, yeah. the turning point for them when their hormones changed. And then, <laughs> yeah. so I never worried about it because people would say, oh, aren't you afraid they're going to be around all the time? And, you know, and uh-huh. I said, no, there, there comes a point where they're, they want to go off and live their life and do what raccoons do. They don't, you know, they, yeah. they don't stay around. Well, having been a high school teacher most of my life, you know, I just think they're so much like hormonal teenage boys. And like you said, they get very ornery and then they just want to go off. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to be independent. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I was reading about this Van Gogh project and not Van Gogh spelled yes. as the artist, but G-O. And it sounds like you, you integrate a lot of your skills with that. I'd love to hear more about that and how you, sure. how you develop that. And, and it, yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll just give you a brief uh, background with my Van Gogh project. Um, I've been doing it for 44 years, mm-hmm. and it, it started in the 70s where we would get the school children when I was teaching high school in an Air Force town, and there was a tiny little one-room red schoolhouse on the prairie in Prairie, Idaho, <laughs> and the students would come from there after eighth grade down to the high school. So all the Prairie students were my art students. Mm -hmm. And one of the kids said, Jennifer, you need to take art to the little Prairie school. So I begged my principal for a day off. We loaded my van with art supplies, packed lunches. And what you have to understand is that in an art classroom, you get... Uh, you get very disenfranchised kids. Mm-hmm. They, there's just a draw to the art room. And my favorite students are those students who really have a lot of lot of issues. Well, imagine taking sort of the the dredges of the school, the kids that don't want to be in school, putting them in a van, taking them on a dirt road, And we would stop every few miles because somebody had to have a smoke or somebody had to, you know, couldn't sit still that long. But imagine taking them into the most beautiful part of the country and kind of allowing them to be who they want to be. Driving up to this little school, and at the time Prairie had six students in the whole school, (laughs) And the kids come running out to your car and my students who had never been anything to anybody in their life were now the, the, the princes and queens of these little students who were so happy to see them and who would just embrace them and hug them and thank you for coming. And we would do art with these kids. So 
my students then were the teachers for the day. And they were the, you know, the people that these students looked up to, these little prairie kids. And everybody was in a win-win situation. We had done something wonderful for this little school. So this is how Van Gogh got started. I would put students in a van and we would go. That was what Van Gogh was in a play, of course, on the artist Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. So I have visited more little one-room schoolhouses, some, Janine, that only have one student in the whole school. Oh, my goodness. Some that have three, some that have 12, some that have 20. And I continue to do that to this day. Um, Two years ago, I celebrated 40 years of going to the Prairie School and taking art to them. So all of their parents were my original students. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And we're actually going up to Prairie in another week and a half. But we go all over Idaho. And so part because my heart is so with animals. I always, with my lesson, like I'll present a lesson and then the students that I take with me, they'll present a lesson. And of late, I've been taking some of my turtles with me because these little schools probably don't have turtles Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. taking um, some of my children's books that I write. I have two, one, I have two that are on turtles specifically and I'll take turtles with me. I'll read them my children's book. And then maybe we will do like a turtle batik art project. So I'm incorporating all these lessons about animals, caregiving, art, and sharing, and all of those wonderful things. So it's just like this win-win for everybody and for animals and advocacy. So anyway, Van Gogh is... it. It really turned out to be something so amazing. Oh, and I love the way you you integrated so many things um, to really create a, a like a complete experience and something that is it's involving you know so many different factors. I think that's really sure. cool. Yeah, and especially for my own art students who have so many as high school students have so many issues in life and to feel good about themselves, and then to take them kind of beyond their comfort zone too, take them into foreign places and put them into a teaching position is just, it's just such a win-win. And and I've been so fortunate in having been recognized. I've, I've really been blessed with many awards and recognition and grants because of uh, I think mostly because of my Van Gogh project and and, you know, and my my passion about teaching and being with kids. But um, so I've been able to share Van Gogh on a national level and yeah. and especially, you know, through the National Teachers Hall of Fame. So um, and I would like to share one thing since we, we kind of got back into that Um This National Teachers Hall of Fame, uh, it's really very amazing. And like you just gave the introduction about Mm -hmm. the award, five teachers in the whole nation are chosen a year, uh, every year to be inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. And they have a memorial um, on site for 
fallen educators, people who have died in the line of duty, actually. And you know that right now we've had just a horrific few years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just been awful. And just this last week, both the House and the Senate, um, the, the Hall of Fame worked very hard to make this a national memorial. And it just was passed and and it's sitting on Trump's desk, President Trump's desk right now to be signed into law that that this uh, memorial will now be a national memorial at Emporia State University for fallen educators. And on June 21st, they're going to have a ceremony there at the at the site and um, they'll add then the names from, you know, the most recent, like the, the Parkland people that lost mm-hmm. their lives and also Sandy Hook. And um, so anyway, I think it's really important in this day and age. Yeah. So I'm very excited. A lot of hard work. Yeah. So you, you were involved in that? Well, as an inductee, but the people that really carried the torch were the the executive director at the Hall of Fame and her um, her assistant. They just pushed and pushed, and then uh, their own state legislators and senators in Kansas, where uh, Emporia, Kansas, they really pushed for this and introduced the bill. Mm-hmm. And so everybody, I think there was only one no out of everybody. And so, I mean, how could you not? support something like that right yes that would be pretty hard not to I would think yeah I mean that that does seem pretty important yeah very awesome huh that's really neat um I didn't even know anything about it I mean I had never even heard of it Yeah. yeah well now you know now that uh it's it's going to be you know signed into law it will be you know a place to go and it's beautiful it's like a mini vietnam wall it's mm-hmm. black granite with the names and it's just a beautiful little site on the college campus cuz emporia state is a teachers college oh, so okay. that's very appropriate and then they house the national teachers hall of fame Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's just so that you said that right now as we're speaking, that's sitting on Trump's desk to be signed. Yes. Uh-huh. Right now. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for keeping us up to date. They're excited. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, you know, on your website, I thought this would be fun. You have, uh, there's life and animal highlights. And I thought it would be fun to share some of these with our listeners and, you know, and then you can just elaborate on them and flesh them out for us. And because I'm sure there's great stories behind these. Oh, you know, lots of animal (laughs) stories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of these are animal and some aren't. I was going to start with Kissed Tom Jones. Oh, I still haven't washed my lips. <laughs> you know, I was a crazy blonde living in Hawaii and I was going to school. My husband was in the Vietnam War. And so Hawaii was a good place to live. And I was living there with actually a school teacher friend of mine. And Tom Jones came in concert to the Ely Kai Hotel, I remember. And we had spent all day making him Hawaiian lays. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so we went up into the, we bought tickets for this concert. And so right at the beginning of the concert, you know, people usually will throw them, throw him underwear. Um, But we wanted to, (laughs) we wanted to lay him, um, so to speak. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) we, we ran up the side aisles um, and I got stopped by a policeman and she ran up on stage. And then I got around this policeman and I stood in front of the stage. And I remember so well, he was standing right in front of me and he saw that these policemen were coming from either side to escort me. Uh-huh. And I stood there this sweet little tan blonde California girl holding up my leg going, please, Tom Jones, come and take this. And he bent down, let me put the lay on his neck. And I gave him, you know, he, he bent down and kissed me. And I mean, I almost died. And it was so funny after the concert, people were coming up and saying, were you the one that kissed Tom Jones? You know, and I just said, I am not washing these lips forever. (laughs) Ah, That's so so cute. Yeah, it is darling. And, you know, he actually is coming to concert uh, here, oh, like this year or something. Mm. And I am going to get a T-shirt that says, you kissed me in 68. How about another? <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. You're going to have to, you're going to have to keep me posted on that. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. What a great yeah. idea. I, I would, I don't know that I would have thought of that and I'm pretty creative. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I could have said, you know, I laid you in 68, but I didn't think that would be. So anyway. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're, yeah, I think the kids. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So yeah. now before we uh, started the recording, we talked about another thing we have in common, which is sure. uh, taking uh, flight lessons. Sure. And we both soloed. I, I do get to beat you because I did two cross countries. And I know. <laughs> <laughs> I backed out after that. I had one more cross country to go and I would have my license, but I really... Really oh. am pretty directionally dyslexic, and it just, I'm not comfortable unless there's somebody else in the plane with me. Oh, so. of course. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, any stories about your soloing? Oh, I'll tell you. This man, he was my boyfriend at the time, and he taught me how to fly, and he was one of those where he would just get out of the plane and say, okay, you're ready, bye. And it was <laughs> like, oh, oh Okay. And we had actually flown up to the Prairie School. They have a tiny little dirt landing strip. And we had flown up there. And he got so sick flying home that he just, like, went to sleep. Oh and I was, I was just at the... I was at the controls and it was only a, it was a two seater Cessna, mm-hmm. but then he had showed me many times, you know, you'd be up in the air and he'd cut the engine off and yeah. he'd say, and he'd say, okay, I want you to see how long you have to find a place to land. And, you know, as long as you keep your airspeed up um, mm-hmm. and don't stall, you're okay. But, um, and so that kind of started my, my solo stuff, but he and I, because Idaho, has some of the most amazing backcountry strips where there are no roads or anything. It's a, it's like a landing strip on top of a mountain where you have one opportunity to land or take off. Mm. And we would do those kinds of things. Um, I mean, 
I probably should have died several times over. We've we've landed in the middle of um, meadows that I know there were petrified cow pies there. The landing was so rough. Oh. And like along where the stagecoaches used to go, along the old stagecoach trails, and there would be remnants of old houses there. And But we had so many flying adventures. But he, I mean, he did eventually die in an airplane accident because he was so gregarious and out there. And I don't fly anymore, but I mean, I I will fly commercially, but I don't fly little planes. Mm -hmm. But since I was a teeny tiny girl, I always wanted to fly. I wanted to go to space. And um, I applied twice for the teacher and uh, the you know, teacher astronaut program. And my very uh, good friend that I just adore, she's one of my heroes, is Barbara Morgan, teacher mm-hmm. astronaut. She lives in Boise. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had applied at the same time that she did. She, she got accepted. But I've always wanted to fly. And I, I had the opportunity when I was... Um, the Idaho teacher of the year to go to space camp. They send you to space camp and we flew shuttle missions. Um, we got taken into the, the private parts of, uh, of like the Kennedy space center. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go to Barbara Morgan's shuttle launch when she went up in the shuttle. And so I just, flight and you know, with yourself, there are people that want to do this. And people that would never, I mean, I, my husband would, oh, he would never, but I love, you know, I just want to go in an Air Force jet is what I want to do. I want to. That must have been so exciting. So how long were you at the space camp? Um, We were there over a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we had, they gave us flight suits. We had our log books. Um, we did daily shuttle missions that were like eight hours long. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we, we had a very intense um, learning, you know, learning program when we went there. Wow. So, what an honor to be able to do that. That's really it was, neat. Yeah. What, what year was that? Uh, 2002. Mm-hmm. 2002. Yeah. Wow. That's really neat. And mm-hmm. and you've you've met both George Bush and Barack Obama. What uh, what were the circumstances around that? Well, um, so yearly, uh, each state and our U.S. territories pick a state teacher of the year. You go through a real like first year, your school teacher of the year, then you're your district teacher of the year, then you're your uh State teacher of the year, then all the state teachers of the year. So 50 states and then the uh, five territories, they all pick somebody and then they pick one national teacher of the year. I was not the national teacher of the year, but we all go to Washington, D.C. and we are greeted by the president. So George Bush was the president when I was uh, the Idaho teacher of the year. So we, and we, they lined us up by state. They took us into the uh, Oval Office and um, you shake the president's hand. And I'm a hugger though. So I I went up. Yeah, I know. I could tell. We just hugged each other through Skype. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I went up and I put out my hand and I said, do you mind if I give you a hug? And he said no. And I could just see his Secret Service men going, why is she <laughs> hugging the president? But um, it was it was during um, the 9-11, you know, just kind of post 9-11. So um, anyway, that uh, that was when I met George Bush. And then for the National Teachers Hall of Fame, that was when Barack Obama was president. So I was 2016, the National Teachers Hall of Fame, and we went to the White House and it was teacher week. So they had all the state teachers of the year there. They had the five of us, the inductees into the Hall of Fame. And again, we got to have our own few minutes with the president. They took us in one at a time. I went in, I had, you know, and Barack Obama was so kind, Mm -hmm. just so, you know, looks at you and asks you about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So again, I said, do you mind if I give you a hug? So I got to hug Barack Obama too. Aw, yeah, that's really neat. Yeah, it was very neat. Now, the person who I'm really interested in that you met is Jane Goodall, because I truly admire her. (gasps) What an inspiring, amazing. She came to Boise, Idaho to speak. And when she was done sharing her stories, um, they said anybody that would like to meet her or have her sign anything, you know, line up. So there was a line and God bless her. She stayed while every single person and there were hundreds oh my went through, talked to her, had her sign things. And I was so excited because like you being the animal person, Jane Goodall is is like meeting, you know, nobody else. Right. She's just incredible. And so I stayed in line and I actually had taken, I have a a picture of a chimpanzee and I took it with me and she signed the picture, which is awesome, hanging on my wall. And I, her filming crew, she had a filming crew that followed her around. And apparently there's a movie called Jane right now in the movie theaters just came out. Yes, I read about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, we have to see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was all of these, this footage of all of these, uh, you know, conferences and things that she's been to. And I was interviewed. I doubt I'm in the movie, but um it was so exciting. I think that her film crew saw how taken I was with this woman because they picked me out of the middle of a bunch of people to interview. Mm. And it was, I think it was just that whole animal thing coming mm-hmm. out. It was like, oh my gosh, this woman is just a god, you know, to me. And um, and she is, Janine, everything that you would expect her to be. Mm. She's humble. She's compassionate. Um, she's interesting. She has had quite a life and such an impact. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, yeah. And I would, she, I would love to hear her speak yeah. in person. Sure, hmm. sure. Wow, that's interesting. And when was that? Um, let's see. How long ago was that? Oh, that maybe was six years ago. I mean, it wasn't that long no, ago. No, it isn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have a fun one for you. You rode on a motorcycle in bare feet and no helmet at a hundred miles per hour. You little minx you. Oh yeah. I think that just speaks to this gregarious little, you know, stupid girl that didn't really look at the consequences, but I was high in high school and I had a friend and it was, you know, here I was this girl always bringing whatever home in her arm and I remember my my good friend had a motorcycle and he took me up on this mountain road. It was it went pretty straight with, you know, twists and turns, but not like a mountain mountain road. Mm-hmm. And he came up to my house and he zoomed up and he said, you want to ride? I said, of course. <laughs> and I had I remember I was in short shorts, a little tank top, no <laughs> shoes, and of course, no helmets required then, jumped on the back, and we went, I mean, we were 100 miles an hour, and didn't, you never even think that anything will happen, mm. and we went we went down on this main drag where high school students would, like, drive on a Friday night, you just be driving mm-hmm. around, and and um, my sister happened to be, my sister is six years older than, than me. Mm-hmm. She was sitting in a restaurant with her boyfriend and she goes, oh my gosh, look at that stupid girl on the back of that motorcycle with no, no helmet, no shoes. And then she looked and she said, oh my God, that's my sister. <laughs> and so I went home then. And I walked in the front door and I said, Mom, oh, my gosh, you would not believe what I just got to do. I had the most exciting time. And I told her what I had done. And honestly, I could not understand why she wasn't excited for me. (laughs) I could not. I thought, why aren't you just as excited as I am? Well, now I know being a mom and a grandma. But it was it was just awesome. Would I do it today? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, how did you meet Werner von Braun? Well, that was part of my going to space camp. Mm-hmm. So when we went to space camp in Huntsville, Alabama, every day, we every lunchtime, we would dine with whatever astronauts were there. We, we ate in their cafeteria. So we got to talk to astronauts. And then we had this really intensive, you know, like I said, we did shuttle missions. We had speakers. We had Krista McAuliffe's mother mm-hmm. who came and spoke to us about Krista. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had the Von Braun rocket scientists. I mean, they were old men then mm. and they came and we had a panel where we could ask them questions. I mean, talk about history right in front of you. Wow. What an opportunity. Oh, yeah. So that was all a part of that, uh, teacher of the year stuff. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Oh, that sounds like that was so exciting. I wish I could have done something like oh, that. Oh, I know. It was so exciting. Yeah. Okay, let's switch over to animals. Gave mouth sure. to mouth to Western desert oh. tortoise that drowned and died. That sounds like a story. <laughs> well, I used to um, be on the education board at the Boise Zoo. And at the time, oh, my gosh, Janine, you would have died to have been in my shoes because I get to go um, into the cages and um, 
Now, I had like high school students, we painted lots of murals inside the monkey cages. You haven't lived until you are on the other side of the cage and people come by. Jennifer, I am so envious. Oh, my gosh. We 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 were camouflaging all the insides of these monkey cages. And the people are such cuckoos when they see something in a cage. And it happened to be us and the comments. And the so anyway, that was really fun. But I got to see the backside of animal care. I got to go in with a baby lion that was it was a rainy day and it was muddy and we were playing. The lion was jumping in the mud puddles and I got to go in and he would like get down like a like a dog would do and kind of shake his bottom and then just run at you and leap and knock you over. Oh, it was the best. Oh, and that sounds um, yeah, wonderful. Got to do all these fun animal things. Well, anyway, one of the zookeepers said that they had confiscated from somebody in the community two Western desert tortoises that were babies. They were only like the size of an egg. Oh, my goodness. And since I had turtles, would I want to take those home and try to raise them? And I said, yes, please. So I had Gabby and Raspberry. (laughs) And it was at a time when I was just starting to really take in a lot of turtles from people that would find them or didn't want them. And I had the turtles all like in my backyard, but I also had raccoons. Mm. So I called Fish and Game and I said, "Um, hey, I have turtles and I have raccoons. Are the raccoons going to bother my turtles? And they told me no. Well, raccoons are meat eaters. Mm -hmm. The next thing I know... Uh, the raccoons had eaten one of them, baby raspberry. Mm. And so I knew, you know, at that point, now all my cages are covered. And I, you know, I had to learn the hard way. But Gabby, what a wonderful soul. And I have these little shallow concrete ponds everywhere that my turtles go to. And I came home one day and Gabby was upside down, probably was trying to crawl out and somehow flipped upside down, deader than a doornail. And I felt so guilty. My husband was with me and I said, I could just see that that like I had killed every last desert tortoise in the world. I felt so awful. And I said, Kirk, I am giving, I'm giving this tortoise mouth to mouth. (laughs) And his, his eyes get you know, like saucers, but he knew me. So he said, okay, go for it. So I just picked Gabby up and I started blowing, you know, just little breaths (laughs) into his mouth and water was coming out his other end. And do you know, Janine, all of a sudden it was like, you know, somebody that you've resuscitated took a couple of (gasps) breaths, came back to life. And I had Gabby for years after that. Oh my goodness, you actually saved him. So it must not have been too too long before you had gotten there that that happened. Right. Wow. He, he was a goner. His legs were just oh. hanging and yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So, you know, you can always give mouth to mouth to something, mouth to beak, <laughs> whatever yeah. you need to do. It's yeah. certainly worth a try, isn't it? It is, definitely. Yeah. Well, what, where did you find your the tortoises that are now in Kauai? Oh, such a, such a story, my tortoises. 
Um, so these are uh, African, they're called African spur-thighed sulcata tortoises. Oh my goodness, that's a mouthful. That is, and they're they're in the Sahara. That's where they're native to, mm-hmm. and they are endangered there. And you can imagine um, when the males fight, they go head to head. They have these big uh, horns that come out from under their neck. They're like prongs. Ooh. They're called gulars, and the males fight with them. So they grow to two hundred and fifty pounds. So oh when my. they go, yeah, when they go head to head. They go horn to horn, and one will flip the other over, which would be certain death Mm. in the Sahara. And so anyway, um, we have so overbred them in the United States. They're endangered in Africa, but we've so overbred them here that people, once they get big, they're sold in pet stores as little tortoises. And nobody says in 10 years you're not (laughs) going to be able to take care of this. It's one of the saddest animal stories uh, in our country. And so people will let them go in the desert or a creek or try to sell them on Craigslist or whatever. So anyway, two of my former students, one was uh, one of my student teachers. He had one and he couldn't care for it anymore, Lily. And Lily actually is a boy. Uh, Everybody thinks they're tortoises or girls until they get older and present themselves. And then, you know, they're boys. Oh, okay. Uh, so Lily was a boy, and I I got that one from my student teacher who couldn't care for Lily anymore. And then Shelly, who I actually had gotten first, um, I was teaching at our college here, uh, Boise State, the, the college with the blue turf. Um, <laughs> and I was teaching an art class, and everybody was to bring something to share and then do an art project related to that. So one of my students brought this tortoise in a tub, and the tortoise was probably 10 inches across. And Mm. she said, Jennifer, I just don't know what to do. We've kept this tortoise in this tub since we got it as a baby. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm taking this tortoise home tonight. So uh, that's how I ended up with Shelly. And I kept, and Shelly also was a boy. So I ended up with two boys. And I used to bring them in, carry them, put them in the bathtub, let them hydrate, put them back outside. Winters are very tough because they're so warm blooded. Mm-hmm. I had Shelly in the house wearing a diaper and <laughs> Lily in a heated garage living in a shed in the winter. And then because they were males, they had to be separated. I had big. So anyway, as they got bigger and older, my son, who is a physical therapist, said, Mom, you cannot be lifting these tortoises anymore at 80 pounds. And so I knew and nobody was going to want them when they got to be 250 pounds. Mm. So I, I found this place on Kauai, and it's called the Makawahi Cave. And even the locals, I'm so surprised, don't know that this cave is there. And the cave... Um, has, of course, been there since the beginning of time. But um, this uh, couple, the Bernies, Dr. Bernie, he was studying uh, the contents of the limestone pools in the caves and collecting artifacts, he and his wife, Lida. And they were collecting like old tools and fish hooks and gourd instruments. 
And Dr. Bernie's written a book about all the Makawahi Cave. Well, in their travels around the world, they saw that tortoises were being brought in because they have beaks like primitive birds that used to eat the weeds, uh, eat the invasives. And so they, they brought tortoises not into the cave, but this an area outside the cave where they have brought in these giant sulcata tortoises to eat the invasive weeds because tortoises will eat to eye level. They don't reach up and eat the native plants. They eat to eye level. So they're eating the weeds, allowing the native plants to grow. <laughs> so I sent Shelly and Lily to Kauai, to the Makawahi Cave. Um, it was a very, very expensive venture. No bad. But it was it was the right thing to do. These creatures are lovely. They're the third largest tortoise in the world. They are old souls. They look at you like they know exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> I can go there, you know, like not for six months because I, I try to go two or three times a year. And I volunteer <laughs> and I just work with the tortoises and feed them and clean their pools and whatever needs to be done. And they recognize me. Mm. They'll come, I'll call them like a dog, and they'll just, do, do, mom's here. <laughs> mom's bringing us treats. And so it's a lovely place to go. And if you ever go to Kauai, you must go. You must, and you'll see one of my books is about Shelly and Lily going to Kauai. And um, I donate my book there as a fundraiser because it's a, it's a nonprofit. And so... Mm hmm. Wow, I wish I would have known that when I was on Kauai last. I will have to, uh, next time I know I'm going, I will connect with you and find out how to get there. Yes. That sounds wonderful. I'd love to volunteer. I, I've been um, crocheting blankets for baby rhinos. It's a, a website. And, um, I, you know, I've been thinking about, I wonder if there's some way I can go to a, uh, you know, a reserve or somewhere where they're caring for these orphaned animals and, and, and just help out for a while. I think it would be so much fun. And, you know, the black rhino, of course, I'm even wearing my black rhino earrings today in mm. honor of our animal talk because the black rhinos are so endangered. You could hook up with you know, an organization just because of what you call what you're doing. And um, I, I mean, there would be an opportunity and you would so help. I mean, any these organizations, I donate to everything and they so need our help. Animals so need our help. Yes. A animal Animals uh, organizations are my favorite to donate to. Definitely. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I just don't even want my husband to see what I donate to. He, he tells me, and I think I told you this, but he tells me that I'm going to die one of two ways. I'm either going to, he's going to find me off a mountain road somewhere. My Van Gogh is going to have gone over a cliff and I'll be covered in art supplies. Or I will be squished in the road trying to save an animal. So I think he's right. It's one of the two. <laughs> well, let's talk about the second because I have sure. certainly stopped. Now I 
what I read was eight lane traffic. I, you, you've got me way beat mm-hmm. there because I have certainly not done eight lane traffic, but, um, I've certainly stopped if, if, uh, something looks like it might still be alive and, and I can help it out or, you know, um, yeah. so, uh, what, what did I read here? Has stopped busy eight lane traffic to guarantee mm-hmm. safe passage of turtles, tortoises, tarantulas, and ducks. I'm sure you must yep. have a good story or two there. Oh, my goodness. Well, and of course, in this area and right now, oh, my mother goose at this reserve I walk. um, I'm just thinking of her. She was she laid her eggs right along a trail, a busy trail where there are foxes, people that let their dogs go loose. I came between a dog and her the other day that was trying to chase her and trying to eat her eggs. Um, and so I do the same thing in traffic. <clears throat> if there's a mother crossing the road with her babies, I immediately pull over and I just stop the traffic for safe passage, as do a lot of people. I mean, I'm really, you know, heartened by how many people will stop to, to help something so small. And we won't talk about the other people that don't even try right. to stop. But um, I remember one time I lived in Columbus, Mississippi, and there were there were all kinds of creatures, you know, I mean, alligators and um, uh, water moccasins and turtles. And I remember coming out of college And this turtle was in the middle of the road and cars just whizzing by. Shoo, shoo. He was almost like you could almost see his shell kind of lift up as each car went by. I'm I'm surprised he didn't flip. Oh, I know. And so I stopped my car and I jumped out and I stopped every lane of traffic. You know, it's like, stop, 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 stop. And, and you you know, I just picked him up and just got him safe passage to the other side of the road. And so I, probably like you, I have done that more times than I can even count for things. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so, there's just something to me so satisfying by saving a little life. Oh, you know, and there there's so many that you that you can't. We we have a wildlife reserve just down the road from me, and there's a busy road that goes beside it. And I've I've had to carry baby foxes that have been hit off of that road, and um, and you know you just your heart it just breaks for. Uh, there's not an animal that I'm not sad about that. I haven't been able to help or that's been injured. Um, But then you, you know, you look at all the things that you've saved and it's, you know, it's the starfish story. And I have a really great little story and I'll I'll make it kind of short. But we were in Mexico. My son was running the beach and I love kelp. And Mm -hmm. I love to make, I have these big, beautiful kelp baskets that I make. And on on the big bull kelp, if you walk on the beach, those great big ball things that you see that's on the end of a piece of kelp, mm-hmm. um, those are called bladders. And they are what float from uh, the bottom of the ocean, this long piece of kelp. And then the bladders are up on the very top of the water. And my son was running on this on this beach in Mexico, and he found 
kelp with bladders that were the size of basketballs. Oh, my goodness. He grabs his arm load and he runs up to our condo and he goes, Mom, look what I found for you. And I said, oh, my gosh. I am going to smuggle this across the border if I have to be pregnant putting this in my shirt. I'm going to get this kelp back to Idaho so I can make baskets out of these big kelp bladders. So he put all this kelp into our bathtub. Well, my sensitive little daughter, she's she's kinder than you and I are, Jimmy. (laughs) She went into the shower and she goes, Mom. There are baby starfish living on this kelp bladder. And I went in. They were not even an inch big. Oh, my goodness. And and they were in there like their little tentacles were going up like, we're out of the ocean. Quick, get us back. And I said, Emily, we, we cannot keep these bladders. We have got to take these back to the ocean. So by now it's midnight. We wrap each little starfish and the kelp and the bladders and everything. And we're going through this condo to where we can get down to the ocean. And there are these two Mexican police at the top of the stairs. Here are these two white girls with this thing wrapped up. And they didn't know what we were doing. And all I could do was open up my towel, point to the kelp and point to the ocean and just like, we're just going down there. And so we we let all of these little starfish go back into the ocean. But what I was going to say, it's the starfish story when you save something. You can't save them all. But if you can save one and make a difference in the life of that one, then that mattered, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You do what you can. Yep. You do what you can. Oh, Jennifer, this has been yeah. so much fun. Your, oh, no. your life is such an inspiration. And uh, I, I'm just I'm really grateful that that uh, you took the time to it took us a while to to connect, get together. Um, no, and, we did it. Yes, we did it. We're such kindred souls. And, and you know, if, if this inspires somebody else to just help one animal, if everybody helped one thing mm-hmm. or even one disenfranchised person mm-hmm. you know it'd be mm-hmm. such a better world such a better world absolutely is there a way people can learn more about you and your adventures do you have a website or is there you know i have a website right now under construction um because i'm doing a, another hardback book um but my my books actually are on Amazon. Okay. And I am also very happy to give out my email to anybody. Okay. Why don't you do that in the website? Because one of the nice thing about podcasts is they're there. Well, as long as I keep doing it, they're there forever. So, you know, a year from now, somebody might listen awesome. to this. Yeah. Well, can I just give you my Please, email? Please go ahead. Address? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. And I'll put it on the, the podcast website, too. Good. So it is ferret, of course, ferret mm-hmm. like the animal, F-E-R-R-E-T-W mm-hmm. at msn.com. Okay. Oh, and and what, is, what is your website so that when it is back up, people will be able to access it? You know, it's on that here. It is, um, it's actually HTTP 
semicolon slash. Yeah, don't worry about all that. Just what's the name? Yeah. Everybody knows uh, that these project, days. Yeah, projectvango.org. Project Van, and that's V-A-N-G-O dot org. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. That'll all be on the on the uh, website too. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. This has oh, really been fun. I almost, almost hate to let you go, but <laughs> you know what? All the all the very best with your very overflowing plate. Oh, and thank you. You are in my prayers, and we will talk again. And you've just you just a beautiful soul. So, oh, thank, thank you. you. You are too. I, I really I feel hey. like we're kindred spirits. I do. Well, we are. So <laughs> there you go. Okay. Thank Thanks you so again. much. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye, honey. Bye. Thank you for listening. The podcast website is realjanine.com. You can listen to and download episodes there. There are links to guest web pages, photos, which is always fun to see what my guests look like. Uh, and you can sign up for the Real Janine bi-weekly newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and healthy recipes. And remember, once again, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Do you know people who would enjoy my conversation with Jennifer Williams? Perhaps there's someone who, you know, needs a little kick in the butt and a little inspiration. I'll bet you do. Please share the love. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.